Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Uh, thanks to Nathan for reading the first 11 chapters there. I wasn't going to do that, but it does make a nice segue into these verses. Like most passages in the Bible, it's, you know, whatever you do, you're picking something out of context without reading the entire Bible every time we get together. It's kind of hard to not do that. Uh, so thank you for that. If you have uh, your copy of God's Word today and you found your place there, would you stand with me this morning in, in honor and reverence for the reading of the words of God? The Word of God says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You may be seated. Father, we are so grateful to be here today and thank you for your word. We pray that it would speak loudly to us today. And we pray that we would listen intently and walk out of here changed, uh, Lord. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In my younger years, before I uh, met Miss Kylie over there, and some it spilled over some until when we were married. I, I was what you call a vagabond, sort of. I moved a lot. I worked a lot of different weird jobs, and people in the office are probably snickering behind my shoulder, behind my back there about that. It's a running joke in the office, but uh, one of those things I can tell you is, no matter where you are, clicking the mouse in an office or work, working at a warehouse or wherever you are, there's there's some things that are pretty consistent. Wherever you are. There's usually that guy. You know, there's that, that guy, and you know the one I'm talking about. He swings by your desk, or he catches you in the break room, and you see him, and you, you kind of know it's coming, and there it is. Hey, Turner, you working hard or hardly working? And you've probably heard that before, and maybe you're that guy today. I'm looking out there and thinking some of you might be. Well, that's what we're talking about today, working out your salvation. Are you working hard or hardly working? And it's a funny kind of a cliched sort of thing, but it's actually a good question for us as believers. So I'm going to ask you today, First Baptist Church, are you working hard today or are you hardly working out your salvation? Your answer matters more than you may think. The scripture tells us, we're going we're to dive right into the meat of it here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. First of all, let me say this is a command. But it's also something that we do in response to what Paul has just said in the previous verses. Nathan read some of those. In chapter 1, if we back up that far, we see the Philippians need encouragement because they're undergoing persecution. Very similar to, similarly to what Paul went through. Up to and including imprisonment. So, so not just the light sort of uh, maybe make you fun of or people don't like you, or, but no, they're, they're suffering. They're being persecuted. And Paul is encouraging them to live lives worthy of the gospel in spite of their persecution. And then in chapter 2, he encourages them with the, the example of Jesus, how Jesus Christ suffered for our sake, on our behalf, and how we ought to remain united in the example of Christ who was exalted for His unflinching obedience 
But I suppose the ultimate question here is, well, what does it exactly mean to work out salvation? When we believe salvation is by grace and not by works, I think it's our duty to figure that out and to know what that means. I think we have to know so that we can apply it to our life. What does it mean to work out our salvation if once saved, always saved, right? Well, it's true. The saints do persevere until the end. We believe that. I believe that. But apparently Paul thought that there was a need here. There was a need for a proper amount of fear and trembling to go along with that. Jesus himself told a parable, kind of scary in some ways. A parable you know as a sower and the seed. The sower, he sows seeds into four different kinds of soil. And what's interesting, three of those soils look great. Three of the four look awesome. They pop up, they spring up, they grow, they show signs of life. But some of those, even though they look great at first, never produce any genuine fruit and are therefore found to be bad soil. And I hate to say it, but I think we can look around our churches in the United States today and, and see there's evidence of that parable taking place. Look at many churches' church roles. And you'll find there are people on the church rolls that haven't darkened the doors of any church for years. At a previous church I was at, we looked at our church rolls one time and uh, we tried to just figure out, does anybody know these people? Does anybody in our congregation even know who these people are? People have been there for 50 years and didn't know some of those people. Uh, surely they've joined other churches, some of them, but some of them probably not. Some of them probably were those seeds that sprang up quickly and withered away. So today we're going to look at our text and we're going to see that there's something beyond the conversion experience. There's something for us that matters beyond that initial moment when we make our decision, when we walk the aisle, when we shake the preacher's hand, when we sign the card, whatever it is that we think of, there's something beyond that conversion experience that's important, so important. Paul says we ought to do this with fear and trembling. <clears throat> Two aspects of our salvation, if you will. And, and one of the things, I, let me just say real quickly that do not confuse conversion with salvation. Conversion is just one part of our salvation. It's part of our salvation experience. So this is a bigger picture than possibly we're even used to considering. Uh, a first part of that is the work and the fruit that indicates a real life change in our heart. That's what we're going to kind of hover around today, the, the idea of working out our salvation. But secondly, and more importantly, and probably more familiar to us, is the idea that our salvation ultimately rests in God's hands. So these are two things that don't seem like they go together really well, but they go together so well that you cannot extricate one from the other. So let's dive right in. Let's look at part one of our salvation, the fruit, our work. Our work, Philippians 2, 12. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, and therefore, you know, he's talking about everything that's come up to this point. We've, we've talked about these things. Just as if you've, you've obeyed, and he says, now, not only as in my presence, but even more so in my absence. Here's the brass tack. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me ask you something. 
<clears throat> going back to the work theme here, anybody ever put in a two-week notice anywhere? Anybody? Nobody in here. Okay, all right. I'm the only one. So let me just tell you what it's like. If you've ever put in a two-week notice, maybe you found a good job somewhere else, or maybe you just got tired, you know, and you were just fed up with it, and you were moving on. So you put in that two-week notice, and there's something that happens inside of you when you do that. You realize there's really nothing they can do to me at this point. There's no serious repercussion for anything that comes. Maybe you don't want to ruin your, your good name or something, but deep down inside of you, you realize that this is freedom, you know? I can just coast until the end, and, and I'll be fine. I will make it. Well, let me assure you, Paul is not talking about working out our salvation. He is not talking about Christianity as if we're working out a two-week notice, right? We're not just there punching a clock until it's quitting time. We're not coasting on our way out the door. We are called to work. Until the end. You know, uh, most Baptists, we wrap our minds around verse 13 pretty easily. God is at work in you. That's great. I get that. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Everything is God from the beginning to the end. He saves me. He keeps me. I understand that part. What about working out my salvation? What does it mean? Well, let me tell you, there's two kind of popular ideas about what it means. And they're pretty simple. The first is that it says just what it looks like it says, and uh, you know that's all there is to it. If you want to be saved, you got to work. If you don't say, if you don't work, you're not saved. As a matter of fact, if you are saved and you quit working, then you're quit being saved. And there's some people who who hold to that, and it's a scary way to live. I, I don't I don't believe many of us in here hold to that. Southern Baptists traditionally, typically, uh, do not believe that once a person has been saved by God's grace that they can then do anything to separate themselves from the love of God. But there are those who say that. And then there are those, conversely, who will say, well, uh, this can't have anything to do with salvation. It's really all about the sanctification process. So nothing about salvation, because once you're saved, you're in. That's all there is to it. Don't worry about it anymore. And Paul is just, in fact, talking about this like you're working out your last shift at Hardy's. You're just punching the clock until it's time to get off. And I don't think that's the case either. I think this is a hybrid of the two things that are difficult to understand, maybe even impossible. Let me say first, no, we do not earn our salvation by works. I just want to make that very clear. Nor do we earn the right to keep our salvation by works. Ah, but neither do we have the right to claim Salvation and membership in the household of God if works are absent. It's a difficult thing to grasp. You don't earn anything, but you don't have the right to say, yes, I'm a believer, look at all the... Well, I haven't really done anything. I'm not really faithful. I don't really love people. I don't really love God, but, you know, I joined a church. Baptists, we're often hampered by this idea of conversion so much, we... We put so much emphasis on the initial conversion and then kind of slack off in the process that happens afterwards, the sanctification process. I think that has been the difficulty of Baptists through the years. Uh, We've always striven to find ways to correct that, and we're still working on that. How do we keep our fervor in evangelism and raise our discipleship to meet it? 
But it has led to some seeds from the rocky soil and some seeds from the thorny soil being in our churches and feeling eternally secure, right? That's that, that seed that sprang up quickly, and we all patted them on the back, and we put them in a Sunday school class, and we said, congratulations, and we never checked back in with that person. And if we did, though, we would find out that a lot of those people, a lot of those seeds have withered away, and they've shriveled up to nothing. There was no fruit afterwards. There must be fruit born in the, in the course of our lives. I find it interesting that probably what's interesting if you look at the, the parable of the sower, the, the most promising seed of all would have been the rocky soil because it sprouted the first and it, it grew the quickest. But even that is not an indication. It didn't produce fruit. There was no working out there. But not only is working out evidence, it's also a command. It's also a command to follow. You see, nobody likes to work with a lazy person, right? Nobody likes to work with a lazy person. Even if you're lazy, you don't like to work with a lazy person because what happens is you get more work to do, right? If you two are working on the same project and you've got a goal to accomplish and somebody's not carrying their weight, then you've got to pick up the slack. Paul knew that. He was no different. Paul looks around and he says, you know who I want to work with in the kingdom? I want to work with people who are going to work hard. I don't want to work with people, with believers, who are here to coast out their Christian life and let me do all the work. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a retirement plan in this book. There is nowhere in here where it says, well, when you've done your part... You can quit working and let the other people have it. Let the young people have it, or the new believers, or the new members. And I, I've heard that sentiment before, and sometimes what people mean is, I've done this certain thing for a while, and I'm tired of doing that certain thing, or I believe I'm called to do something else now. Nothing wrong with that. We all need a little bit of change of pace sometime. But then I've heard people say, I am done, officially. Like, I have worked a long time in the church. I've served the Lord long enough. Now it's time for me to kick back and relax and watch other people work. Serve me for a while. And there is nothing in the Bible that says we do that. There's no retirement plan in the Scriptures. Some people, though, we feel like, I can't do what I used to do. So I might as well not do anything. And I'm here to tell you, there are plenty of things that you can do, even if you don't have the same physical strength, even if your mind isn't the way you used to, to have it, used to remember being, even if you don't have the financial resources that you might used to have. There are plenty of things that you can do in the service of the kingdom of God. Some of the most important things are done by those people those very people I'm describing. God, in fact, needs your wisdom. He needs your spiritual experience. One of the things I think is a tragedy is oftentimes our church people tend to get this mentality of retirement right as they're hitting their spiritual stride. You are just coming into spiritual maturity. Sometimes maybe you've hit that stride. 
it's time for us to work. Pastor Matt has been preaching on the book of James, uh, and, and it's basically one long exposition of the idea that true saving faith is accompanied by works. Right, that, that's the idea, the theme running through James. Genuine saving faith is never detached from works. Again, doesn't mean we're saved by works, but it's part of our assurance. It's part of what it means to be a believer. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we sign up to get to work. <clears throat> we sign up to get to work. Part of that is just out of pure gratitude, is it not? We have probably a hard time understanding the word work apart from money. That's, that's one of the things I've thought about is sometimes in the Bible, we have a hard time moving our ideas out of the way of a word or something like that, the way we use it. We use work as a job, as a way to earn money, and, and that's not necessarily the opposite of what Paul means here, but it means more something like effort, putting in effort. It's time for us to continue to put in our effort in salvation. We put in effort. Why fear and trembling? <laughs> that seems to be the hard part to get over. I get that we work, but, but why are we supposed to be scared about it? What's frightening about this? Why fear and trembling? Because this is for real. This is serious. Paul isn't just saying to the Philippians, like, yeah, sure, we work, <laughs> but we all know we're going to make it anyway. There's no, there, you're not really in any danger. There's nothing you've got to worry about, but yeah, work, wink, wink, nod, nod. No, Paul is, he is given a healthy, uh, healthy dose of caution to these people. He's done the same to others. Let's read about Timothy. I'm going to read for you. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Timothy 1, 18... Listen to what Paul says about the fate of a couple of men. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. Why? Because some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And he names the guys among these, Hymenius and Alexander. And he tells what he did with these guys. I've handed them over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. It's my opinion these people are believers. He talks about the shipwrecking of their faith. What does this mean? At least they were thought to be believers. Whatever the case, I sure don't want to be handed over to Satan. Not in this life or the next or any time. Paul is saying this is serious. We work out our salvation. We produce the fruit of righteousness. But there's another part, there's another aspect to our salvation. That is God's part, the familiar part, probably to most of us. God is at work. God's promises and God's power assure us of some things. Verse 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for, because, knowing that. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His 
good pleasure. God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. All you people who've never put in a two-week notice, have you ever been on a boat? Nope, shoot. Striking out today. All right. You probably have. Maybe you've been on a ski boat or a bass boat or something, and uh, maybe you've been on a yacht or who knows what. But if you're out here and you watch the river, you see these boats screaming up and down the river, these big, giant gasoline engines just pounding the water, and they're flying through there 60, 50 miles an hour faster sometimes. And it's amazing to see what kind of power can be generated by those things. They're flying through there. But it'd be hard to imagine getting that kind of speed out of something that has no engine at all. Uh, Something that that just runs purely on the power that can be grasped around it. Let me introduce you to the Vestas Sail Rocket 2. It's a boat, not a rocket. It's a boat, and it's designed for speed, but it has no engine. No engine at all. Yet, in November 2012, the Vestas Sail Rocket 2 shattered the sailing speed record, and to put it in context for us landlubbers, at over 75 miles an hour, she sailed just off the coast of Namibia. 75 miles an hour. That may not sound impressive if you don't know about boats, but that's fast. That's really fast. That's scary fast. And she did it all without the assistance of an engine. But what's really interesting is this boat without human beings, without people, goes nowhere. Without somebody to hoist the sails and tighten the rigging and and hold her just uh, into the wind there or, or away from the wind, that boat goes nowhere. Yet, If a human being puts in just a little bit of work, that sailboat can scream down the coast at 75 miles an hour. There's no way they could row that fast. There's no way they could swim that fast. The boat is doing the work. The wind is doing the work, causing the speed. But they're having to put in something of their own. And together they can do amazing things. Now, obviously, God is greater than the wind. We're not, we're not equating God with the wind. But aren't our lives like that sailboat? You can't make that boat go anywhere. You can't do anything in your lives to grow, to change, to move. But if you put in just a little bit of work, if you put in work, God will fill, fill your sails. One of my favorite college professors, Dr. Dale Yance, passed away earlier this year. It was a sad day when I I found that out. He was a favorite of a lot of people. One of the things he used to say to us regularly was that the power of the Holy Spirit was like the wind. It's like the wind. You can't create it. You can't control it. But if you want to use it, You've got to hoist your sail and let God do the rest. You see, it's God who's at work. That's why we work, because God is at work. God is at work both to will and to work. Let's look at that real quick. God is at work in your will. 
Now, what's funny, you may be like me, and you might be misreading this, saying that God's, it is God's will for me to work, but that's not what it says. He's talking about my will. I believe here God is talking about taking over the two parts of our lives, our hearts and our hands. God is at work to will. He wants your desires. He wants your inclinations. He wants your heart. And you know, if you think about the opposite of that or the alternative to that, what is the alternative to giving God your heart and your will? Well, somebody else gets it, right? Maybe you think you ought to be the boss of it. Maybe unwittingly, you give it to someone else or something else. That's how you make a mess of things. That's how we make a mess of things in our lives. That's how some have shipwrecked their fate, according to the Apostle Paul. But if we submit to God, even our hearts and our desires can be guided by God. You ever think about this? Instead of fighting against our desires, we submit to God, and He begins to channel our hearts into the right pathways so that we begin to like the right things and desire the right things. We submit our will to God. We also submit our hands to God, our work. Now, we must be careful here. God is at work in us. We've got to be careful thinking about God as our partner, right? God is not your partner. He's not 50-50 in this, okay? Sometimes we think about working with God, and we think, I do my part, He does His part. I do 50%, He does 50%. That's not the way it happens, though. We might even think, well, think about... You know, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Well, that's, that's, two, that's a yoke as one side and then the other. Yeah, but the whole point of the, uh, the story of the yoke is that when you put on Jesus' yoke, he does all the work. You get to strap on that yoke and Jesus pulls the plow. That's what Paul is talking about here. Paul uses other farming analogy that's similar to this. He says, Paul plants... Apollos waters or another waters. But it's God who brings the growth. We have to do something, but we can't take credit for any of the growth. Nobody in here can make a flower open up and, and grow. We just do our part, and God provides the growth. And lastly, it says, for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. And this is really the ultimate end of all of this. This is where it all comes to a head. We work, we partner with God, we, we put in what we need to do to, to partner with God and what He's doing already. We hoist our sails. We, put our, we pull our paddles in and we pick up the sail and we catch hold of the Spirit's power. We work for His good pleasure. Ultimately, everything boils down to that. It's all about God's desires, God's designs, God's plans, God's glory, not yours, not mine. And, and what's, what's kind of nasty is some people would tell you it's the exact opposite of that. They will look around and say, well, you know, what, you know what religion's about? You know what the Bible teaches us? That everything is about you. You want something you don't have? Hey, I can get it for you. What do you want? You want wealth? You want health, you want comfort, you want increase, you want favor, you want prosperity, you name it, you can have it. 
Because it's all about you. God's here to serve you. But that's not the truth. The truth is, it's all about God. And that is a despicable way to live, trying to fit God into my plans. It's, he's never going to fit. He's never going to fit into your plans. It's the other way around. When we realize we ought to be trying to fit ourselves into God's plans, well, then things turn around. Our lives are difficult oftentimes because we're doing just that. See, God is at work in you. He's at work in you for His good pleasure. And let me assure you, He does want what's best for you. He's not this mischievous sort of old man in the sky trying to have fun with you and, and uh, torture you or that sort of thing. He's there looking down as a loving Father in our lives for His good pleasure. If you're having a difficulty in life, one of the things you might ask yourself is, who's pulling my yoke? To go back to the analogy. Am I out there all by myself, or am I, while Jesus is over here plowing, am I just going in this direction? It's going to be tough. Hit yourself up under His yoke. Avail yourself of His strength. Hoist your sails in the wind. Work out your salvation, not your 401k, not your ultimate plans for your life. I'm not saying you can't do those things. But those things cannot be the center and the focus of our lives. Finally, we have a, a great promise undergirding this. In this book right here, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. God does not leave us out there alone to strive and to toil and to purify ourselves and to work until we do enough to get ourselves into heaven. There's nothing like that. The, the Bible says the opposite. In, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says something. I'm confident of this very thing, he says. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will perfect it. You see, He began it. He's going to end it. And right now, He's working. So, what we're left with is a salvation that is ultimately in God's hands. But God has given us something to do. He's given us some work to do. Just like a farmer tends his crops, and yet God provides the yield, God has given us something to do. We're not just here to coast, to get that get-out-of-jail-free card or get-out-of-hell-free card and coast. That is not what this life is about. We're to tend our salvation, to work it out, depend on God for the growth. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're one of those seeds or you're listening, watching today, and you were one of those seeds. You know what I'm talking about when you said to sprout it up quickly and fizzled. There was nothing there. There's never been any fruit. 
you've been living a lie. You feel it. You know it. And you wonder, well, what can I do now? And the answer is simple. Repent and believe. There is nothing stopping you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners. You are no different. Put your faith in Jesus today. Begin today to work out that salvation that God so freely gives any who ask. Maybe you're a believer today, and you're one of those people that would say, you know what, Brother Woody, I I have been kind of hardly working. I've not really been doing much with what God has given me. I would say to you, repent of your slackness. Repent of that. Begin to work. Labor for the kingdom. Maybe you're here today and you just would like to talk with someone about church membership or some other thing. I want you to know, we don't have our altars open right now, but I'll be here after the service. Or if you'd like to talk with Pastor Matt, we'd love for you to to do that. Call the church office, make an appointment, come by and see him later on this week. Any of us, uh, myself included, would be glad to speak with you. We want you to know, First Baptist is a good church home. As Pastor Matt says, we're not perfect. Uh, but we love the Lord, and we strive to be a solid church family. We look forward to talking with you after the service today. Before I pray today, let me mention that we do have a special call business meeting. It will take just a moment. So um, after, after the time of reflection, I'll call us to order very quickly, and uh, we'll do that this morning. After I pray, we're going to have a time of reflection for you to consider this morning the Word of God right there in your, in your pew. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to hear the Word of God. We're, we're grateful to have such straightforward commands work out your salvation. We're also grateful to know that there is the great safety net there, that we're not responsible for the outcome. We're not responsible for the, for, for the, the fruit. That's all up to you. And you have guaranteed us that fruit there working in our lives. Lord, I pray today if there's someone who doesn't know you, that today they will put their faith and trust in you. They will begin to live for you, Lord, and show that fruit of salvation in their own lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.